2: All right, it's that time. Welcome back to the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Just barely got a few sips of coffee in there under the wire before the show started. Trying to chug a really hot liquid. It was so hot. It's rough. It's hot soup. But uh, yeah, we're back for another show. We've got, uh, here, I'm going to hit it at the top. Our guest tonight. Andy Parker, Chief Barrel Herder. That's an excellent title. Isn't that the best? I put Head Barrel Herder. Should I go change the description? Uh, master Barrel Herder. You just got to keep keep escalating it. Uh, for Avery Brewing Company in Boulder, Colorado. Great brewery. A lot of really good beers. Award-winning beers. And, uh, yeah, we're going to talk to Andy tonight about the sour beer part of their barrel aging program. But They got tons of barrel-aged beers. They, we were, we were uh, chatting over email with Andy before the show started, and uh, or yeah, just uh, in the last week or so, and he was saying when he started there, they were at 3,000 barrels, and now they're up to 80,000. Wow, just think of all the changes over the years there. But I mean, they're keeping the quality up and doing really interesting stuff. So,
3: what was his title when he first started?
2: I don't know, we'll have to ask him. Peon, <laughs> produ- <Piss laughs> production assistant, I don't know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that voice you're hearing is Scott. How's it going, Hello. Scott? Hello,
3: it's going good. To you. I'm so stoked. Uh, I have. Talk,
2: talk for a little while so I can get some more coffee sets. Okay, sips. go ahead.
3: I'll, I'll, I'll talk until it cools off, and then you can actually drink it quickly. I went to Avery once, at GBF 2010, I believe. Mm-hmm. That was our last stop before we, went to, uh, before we headed back to the Bay Area. But I, don't, I didn't have any sour beer. I've never had an Avery Sour. There's going to be a first for me.
2: You know, I think they do, you know, kind of low, low case volume. I mean, even a brewery that big, I, we've talked about how hard sour beer is to make, and it's even harder to scale. But uh, we'll, we'll check in uh, with Andy about just how their volumes have changed over the years and, and what's going on with that. But luckily for us... You know, we got, he sent us a whole lot of beer. Got a case. We are not going to be able to get through all these beers in one show, but we're going to try and talk through as many as possible, ask uh, some of your guys' great questions that you sent in. Uh, all those questions tonight brought to you by sourbeardblog.com. Dr. Matt Lambick-Miller, I think that's the right order, I don't know, but <laughs> does a great job sponsoring our show and all the questions that uh, you guys send in on the show. Uh, Speaking of questions, you guys should uh, give us a call. You know, it's been, I feel like it's been a while since we've been having phone calls.
3: Yeah, well, because we- What what do you think
2: is, what's the deal with that?
3: Well, first off, it's been a while since we were even in here. That's true. It's been over a month since we were here. And uh, we remember the um, the board, the soundboard here had recently been spilled upon by Porno Steve. Yes. And the phones were not working. Yeah. uh and then so i think it's been probably three episodes i think it feels longer than it's actually been just because it's been mm-hmm. a, a long time sure. but yeah i think you know people get uh eh, people get lazy you know they get used to hearing this on demand they got the app on their phone and they just hear it when they want and you gotta have the live peeps uh to get the phone calls and it's just too easy not to listen live these days and people don't i don't i'm guilty of it too yep, i got a lot sure. of shows i listen to and i don't ever call into any of them because i'm listening at my leisure
2: Yeah, but, I mean, you know, call in, join us. You know, we had a great call uh, on the last show, which, uh, by the way, was um, featuring the production staff from the Rare Barrel. So we got into a lot of good Rare Barrel topics, some updates on what we've been doing there. But, uh, as I recall, we got a beer sent in to us by a listener, and uh, he was asking about, you know, a a beer that we had made at the Rare Barrel. And it was kind of perfect that this all came together at the same time. he put his phone number on the sheet and we called him up and he was totally ready to talk. That was awesome. I mean, he wasn't expecting it or anything, but he dominated. I'm sorry, I forget his name, but, uh, it was a really cool, cool moment where he was just like, "Yeah, oh yeah." So I mashed in at this temperature, yeah, that was great. and it was like, "Oh, I pitched, you know, at this, all that stuff." Even
3: so. the part where he answered the phone—I I think I mentioned at the time—nobody answers phone numbers they don't recognize, yeah. and he did on like the nineteenth ring, and then was just ready to go. It was great.
2: Yeah, he's in like Arizona too, so yeah, it's not like right. a local area code or anything. So that was that was awesome. Yeah, and his beers uh, were great. Yeah, so we love that back and forth uh, with you guys, and if, if you, I understand that the the podcast is probably the number one way you're consuming this show. But if you ever get the chance, yeah, please call in 41 beer. You want to uh, just you
3: want to just call out? You just start just pick a sh- random number and, uh, and hello. Uh, do you like sour beer? K. Yeah. Sour beer. Do you like it? I don't know. Okay. Well, let's try the next number. <laughs> or we can just you know our our vast
2: BN database of listener phone numbers. We can just you know start yeah, start, start call hacking call into out. that and unsolicited call people. <laughs> right.
3: And then they'll put us on hold for a little while. Oh, yep. Hang on, guys. I'll get to you in a minute.
2: Yep. Yeah, but Bevo's used to being on hold, so she's, nice. she's turned it into an art. And hello, Bevo. Hi. Great. That's a great, great content. Yeah, that's all I
0: got. That's all I have. That's all my brain has the capacity to, to give you right now.
2: Why? Are you gearing up for some sort of event? Or have I am you been gearing busy? up
0: for this Saturday's Spring Brews Festival. Hmm. Come out and see how much my work I I don't know where I was going with that. (laughs)
2: Just by that statement, you can tell how confident and just well-run this festival is going to be.
0: This is the sound of what's happening in my head right
4: (laughs) now.
2: (laughs) 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 Yeah, yeah. I remember. I remember. It's going to be great. Justin, either last year or the year before, he he just looked fried when he was there. And once once the festival started, people got in and there weren't lines and everything, and no one, nothing was on fire. He just like didn't know what to do with himself, and he's like. Man, I guess I'll get a beer. You know, yeah. it's like it's there's that there is that moment that comes where everything will be okay.
3: Uh, just to let you know, Justin just looks fried these days. Yeah, <laughs> that's just how it's. Yeah,
0: days it's just a Tuesday
3: <laughs> in September, and it's like, wow, Justin really looks beat.
0: The last two beer festivals, I've had two beers.
3: Ooh, tons of fun. Yeah, fun
4: times.
0: <laughs> but they've gone off without a hitch.
3: Yeah, great. Yeah, this uh, this Saturday, noon to four in Toto Santos Plaza here in beautiful downtown Concord. We're going to. Uh, Drink some beers and and have another good time. What is this? Year number seven? Eight? Seven. Yep, seventh annual. Seven.
2: Nice. Uh, We'll be there. The Rare Barrel. Hell yeah. And yours truly. Uh, Alex will be there, too. Rolling out with the deep crew, and, uh, yeah, we will be drinking beers again. Maybe not as many beers as the time that it was Alex's birthday.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's right. Yeah, we're in April now. Quite a few beers, though. I was even thinking, you know, I mean, I'm I'm almost afraid to say it, but uh, fuck it. Uh, We have been using up all of our good weather luck these last few years Mm -hmm. by having, like, 74-degree crystal-clear days in January, and I've been convinced that it is now going to be teeming on April 2nd. Just teeming.
0: There's a 10% chance of rain, but oh, no. so far, sunny skies, 73 degrees is Uh-oh. what's anticipated. Right.
3: I'm going to knock on this particle board here. Yeah, that's... Ooh. Damn you, Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It was gorgeous that day, too. The oh, day that, that yes. um, was beautiful. Winter Brews would have been mm-hmm. uh, was, yeah, 72. It was, was, it was hot. Yes, it was downright hot. Well, It must have been like 74, 75, right, with the sun blazing in January. Yep. Welcome to winter in California.
2: God's a Peyton Manning fan. What can you say? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. he certainly was that day
2: yeah other ways you guys can participate uh send us some feedback or questions to scott at the or you know i'm here too jay the brewing i've been getting some good questions that i send on to scott after i read him so we'll answer some of those on the show tonight and also be watching us live the brewing slash tv i think i skipped the chat there people are in the chat they're they're contributing join us in the chat that's another if you don't want to be on the air literally
0: one person in the chat and that would be me
2: it's it's, it builds to a critical mass over time right exactly
0: (laughs) so what's
2: up? you got any questions you got any questions p
0: yeah can i go home (laughs) (laughs) we are (laughs) i'm just i'm just kidding we are (laughs)
2: down on the enthusiasm right now from behind the glass
0: i'm sorry i will i will take it up 10 notches
2: did you pour yourself some coffee it's starting to kick in for me
0: uh, I just finished some coffee.
2: All right. well, Maybe I need more. There's more. There's more in there. All right. What else we got? You mentioned the app, Scott. Uh, yeah, that's another good way to get in on this great brewing information stuff that we're doing here. Brewing Network app. Search BN Mobile on, I don't know, the internet, yeah, iTunes store. podcast
3: store, whatever. It's a, it's a free app, and it uh, streams Brewing Network shows all the damn time.
2: And then, uh, last thing at the top, subscribe on iTunes or whatever, however you get, uh, podcast that you know that helps us it helps you because who knows when the shows get posted and uh leave some feedback we we read that stuff and it's always good to uh to hear from you guys and all the various forums that we do okay phew all the housekeeping stuff is done a few quick updates before we uh transition into our uh our segment with our guest uh andy parker quick rare barrel updates we uh we just released our first uh club beer so we have a, a beer club, Ambassadors of Sour. Took us a few months, but uh, first club beer is out. It's a golden sour beer aged in French Bordeaux barrels, which is a, kind of a cool thing for us because I, I may have mentioned this on the show before. I'd say 90, 95% of the barrels we have at the rare barrel are neutral. neutral. Exactly. Neutral, formerly red wine. And that's to kind of see, you know, get a good read on, have have almost no flavor impact from the barrel, just viewing it as a vessel to be able to see how our experiments come out. But now that we're learning more and more about all those experiments, we're more willing to take risks on what the barrel will impart as a you know flavor contributor to these beers. Um, so we've we've introduced a lot of Bordeaux barrels to our cellar. Uh, we've got some Chardonnay barrels back there, bourbon, tequila. We've come out with a few of those. We came out uh, the bottle released before this was our uh, tequila, mm-hmm. barrel-aged golden sour. That was the, the lemon no and lime
3: one, right? Oh, oh no. That was a different one.
2: That was a different one. Yeah. Uh, this is one that it's, it's uh, for two that you mentioned the lime because we were, you know, we were thinking about doing the lime and salt. And I actually think uh, Avery's done a beer, a tequila, barrel-aged beer with lime and salt. We can ask uh, Andy about that. But, you know, the base beer that we blended was so citrusy and almost we have this mixed culture that has its own mouthfeel kind of it's got this what i describe as kind of like a pez candy mouthfeel and almost its own natural salinity so when we went to try the beer with either salt or lime it was just like you know why even do that when the base beer is providing that and kind of blending it into the (laughs) blending it into a, a nice you know representation of flavors that go well with tequila and that's why we called it no salt also because we love office space mm-hmm. so shout out to anyone who got that reference <laughs> uh but yeah i, I just ex- just wanted to mention that stuff because we're excited to bring these new... green the salt <laughs> <laughs> bring these new flavors into the cellar. what is that? What is that uh andy
3: no that was uh that was milton big green of salt
2: Oh, oh, you loaded that up? <laughs> yeah. Big Grains of Salt? That's right. <laughs> is that from the middle or from the end of the movie?
0: Big Grains of Salt.
2: Oh, wow. That's the end. That's, That's that end? scene. Really? It says yeah. Big Grains of I Salt? clearly
3: up for <laughs> no thought. No thought. <laughs> no thought on my market. Um I love that movie. So, uh, this is your first Ambassadors release this year, you mean? Uh-huh. First one of 2016.
2: Yeah, first one of 2016. Yeah. Okay. So, excited about that. And there's more to come. But I also just wanted to mention that. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be talking about these on the show, just kind of the impact of barrel flavor on our beers and what we've been learning from it. But actually, it's, it's again, fortuitous that Andy's on the show because they do a lot of um, flavor for, flavorful barrels um, in their both clean program and their sour beer program. So we'll get into that with Andy in a little bit. Last thing I'll mention, rare barrel related, I guess, well, I have two, I guess, second to last thing, Copenhagen Beer Celebration. May 13th and 14th we'll be there.
3: Going to go to um uh where is uh, Copenhagen Germany? Germany? <laughs> No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> where do you, you going? Are you and you and Alex? Denmark?
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Denmark. Mm-hmm. Yep. Going to Denmark. So uh you know I we've gotten a few emails I I, I have through the Brewing Network email. And uh yeah, people and people who are from Copenhagen they're like, "Oh, hey, we're you know, we're going to the the fest. We'll see you there." And yeah, let you know. Love to see you guys out there for the international listeners or maybe just, you know, uh, Americans traveling abroad and they're going to they happen to be there for that or they're traveling out there for that. Uh, Rare Barrel will be there along with, you know, I don't know. I I haven't seen the full list, but it's like 50 plus of the best brewers in the world. And we're just honored to be invited out there and can't wait to go party in Copenhagen. Awesome. Pretty great.
3: How'd they rope you into that? That's uh, a long way and not a lot of supply, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yeah, I mean, just the,
2: I mean, just the chance to go there. I think they, I don't know, they may, they may pay some of the brewer's expenses. Alex is handling the logistics, mm. you know, you know how it is. Sure. I don't do anything. Your are <laughs> do everything. I got you. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it just sounded like a kind of a too good of an opportunity to pass up. And I mean, we're, we're obviously really excited to, to get out there and just see what people's reactions are in Europe to, you know, American sour beer. So really looking forward to that. Sweet. Yeah uh last thing which i r- realize now is rare barrel related but i didn't intend it to be but it's the last show just wanted to recap that um and mention that yeah we had the rare barrel production team in here lots of good info on you know our fermentations i know you know i i think a lot of these shows i get really into interviewing the guests because you know i want to pick you know all these great brewers brains and i kind of get lost and forget about the things that we're doing at the rare barrel and i kind of sprinkle them in but it was just nice to do kind of a deep dive and the the guys were bringing up a lot of good questions we had a lot of good uh listener questions that came in so uh, thank you guys for all that uh but go back and check that out it's a lot lots of good info i think that was maybe our longest show ever at least the most beer consumption yeah, in yes. studio by far
3: for sure. The eight percent Pliny mm, didn't help matters, or or it really helped matters depending on how you're looking at it. Bevo didn't help matters
2: because she, you know, she was making fun of us the whole time, and now she's not
3: listening. She's but, talking to Kevin in there.
2: Yeah, but she would just like go around and be like, "Oh, Pliny, do you want do you want Pliny?" You know, people were raising their hands. Yeah. Was like, okay,
3: yeah, I got you. Yeah, I Bevo's you. an enabler,
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And just like we were just draining that keg of Pliny that whole time. Yeah, it was we're, great.
3: We're saying the last show, Bev, the uh, that you were kind of like, uh, hey, you need a pliny, you need a pliny, you need oh, a pliny. Oh, I definitely was. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, I was watching that shitstorm happen.
3: <laughs> we held it together, okay.
0: From the safety of my booth.
2: Yeah, yeah,
3: it was good. It was a good show.
0: No, it was Mine great. I enjoyed it a lot. I, it was really fun.
2: Yeah, so go back and check that out. Uh, Did you keep
3: Stefan on staff, by the way? After that,
2: I don't know who you are talking about. <laughs> who, to be honest? Okay, yeah. I don't I don't recognize that name. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of a lot of feedback on Stefan's performance. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, Yeah, good times and you know, I just I, I part of me hopes, you know, it just gets across this is this is how we make decisions at the Rare Barrel, how we think, how we talk about stuff. Not that it's right, it's just this is what we glean from other brewers and this is what we're trying and uh yeah, if you have if you guys have feedback or suggestions on any of the stuff we were talking about, feel free to email us. But that that's that's all I got, Scott. Here at the top. Um,
3: you want to do one question before we uh, take a break, and then we'll then we we'll get to Andy.
2: Actually, yeah, let's do one question. But before that, I just want to mention one thing, which is you know I already mentioned Sour Beer Blog. They're they're bringing us all the questions on our show.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But Wine and Hop Shop. Yes. Another one of our great sponsors. You know, show wouldn't be here without them. Mm-hmm. They just uh, breaking news. I don't know if you know this, actually.
3: Yeah, should, they, I, should, should I play a breaking news theme? Yeah, that would be great. Okay, a, ABC
2: News, preferably. Yeah. I'm not a big NBC guy.
3: <laughs> there, who needs a video here? Okay, go ahead. And now, breaking news with Jay Goodwin, Dateline,
2: Concord, California, March. 30th, <laughs> okay.
0: 2016. This is a hot damn. We don't mess. have all
3: day. What do you? What do you want?
2: Uh, they renew for another year. They're sponsoring oh. the the show for another year. So the wine ship shop. Uh, will stay afloat. We have plugged the holes, and we will continue sailing in some direction, not knowing where we're going.
3: Probably off the end of the flat world.
2: Yes. I'm guessing. But yeah, big big thank you, <laughs> big thank you to the Wine and Hop Shop, WineandHop.com. Send them a note, thanking them. You know. Thanks for uh, sponsoring the Sour Hour.
3: Yeah, or, or just keep ordering, uh, 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 patronizing them. And that's, yeah, and like uh, like Jay's saying, that's thanks to you guys. Uh, you support those who support us, and those who support us stick around, and then the show sticks around, and it's one big, beautiful symbiosis. So everyone that uh, used the coupon code and, and uh, hit up the Wine and Hop Shop and um, patronized a, a great business, and you got some great equipment, and we get to keep the show going. It's great. Yep. So keep it up.
2: Thank them, and thank you guys for supporting the Wine and Hop Shop. Indeed. All right, let's get to that question.
3: All right, this is from Rat Killa. He says, "Jay Scott, I normally measure my final gravities on clean beers via refractometer and use the formula to correct for ethanol. I found this to be within 0.1 ABV of the hydrometer, uh, with measurements taken on both instruments. I recently read that sour beers with lactic or acetic acid can throw off the correction formula since the density is different." Do you have any thoughts or comments on this? Would the hydrometer readings be more accurate in the case of sour beer? That's
2: interesting. I haven't heard anything about that. I don't know. Well, how
3: does it? How does the notion strike you? Because I,
2: I guess it's it's possible. I'm I'm not sure how a- acid would affect the density, but certainly it could be true. I mean, the one thing is: this a, a home brewer or a pro brewer? Uh, I think he's a home brewer. We get a lot of. I, I've noticed we get questions on alcohol. From homebrewers, and uh, you know, not to be dismissive, but it's almost like I—if I was a homebrewer, it's the last thing I'd be worried about.
3: As and, far as like crazy accuracy,
2: yeah, it's like something we have to worry. It's, it's actually, I, and I bring it up because it's kind of a pain in the ass for pro brewers, and you know, you have to get the ABV of the beer. You know, maybe you know you have to get it and make it accurate for the label, but you know, in that time your beer might still be fermenting, you know, it still might be on the move. And it's just a hard thing to predict or measure accurately. Get send it out for testing if in, and do a third test. White Labs, I think they do their, uh, I think they do a homebrew. I know they do the big QC day for pro brewers, but I think they do a similar thing for homebrewers, if not include homebrewers in that as well. So maybe that would give, would give you a third data point and it'd be, you know, a lab. People who are smarter than I am.
3: In the meantime, Ratkilla uh, just slap a 5.5% on there and call it a day. Right? There you go.
2: No, that's what we do. No.
3: <laughs> <laughs> 10% sour beers. I don't know. <laughs>
2: All right. Anything else? Should we take
3: a break? Uh, there's tons more, but yeah, let's take a break, and then not because I want to try these these Avery beers I'm mentioning. Yeah, let's get into it. We'll be right back on the Sour Hour.
2: With over 20 years of
3: experience
2: making world-class craft beer and more than 100 gold medals in international
5: competitions, Moylan's Brewing Company is not just a pretty face in craft beer. Just ask Brendan
1: Moylan. What do we got here? The beer of the hour. Moylan's, got to love that big M. It's like a sign of awesomeness. woo it's got an extra kick to it. Let's pour this bad boy. Oh, Easy bread. oh yeah. Oh, Moilens. The end of the night when the kids are finally in bed, the wife's in bed, <laughs> nobody's bothering your ass anymore. That's Moilens time. Moilens is for you. Yeah! It's to help you out. Yeah. It helps me out. What? Well, because it's freaking awesome. Northern California brewed. It's brewed with love. With love. Oh yeah. Tremendous. And it's always best where? We've gotta try it on tap at Moilens. In Novato. They're freaking awesome! Not only because I own the brewery, because I love the beer. Cheers! Boom! Kilt Lifter Scotch Ale
5: takes big beers to a whole new level with rich malt balanced perfectly with delicate hops and now comes in four-pack Tall Boy cans so you can take the party on the go. Or come to the brewery, take a tour, and try any of Moylan's fresh creations right from the source. Check them out at Moylan's.com.
4: In the shadow of the tallest building I vowed I would break away Listen to the Sunday actors But all they would ever say That you can't get away from it No, you can't get away No, you can't get away from it No, you can't get away city sidewalks, coldness at every turn, knew I had to find the exits, I never ever would return, scoffed at the prophet's omens, that said I would live to learn, that you can't get away from it, no you can't get away, no you can't get away from it. Stopped in a sleepy town Left my change and walked out I didn't even turn around What they were getting next to Was that old familiar sound That you can't get away from No, you can't get away No, you can't get away from No, you can't get away Hotel room in Amsterdam On a wild and windy August night As a cloud passed over a cold moon My heart was seized with terror and fright Seeping up through the floorboards Coming in through the walls Coming in through the doorway ringing up and down the halls That you can't get away from it No, you can't get away No, you can't get away
3: Right. Had to wait for that. But you did you just point back at me right yeah. there? <laughs> back to you're you, Scott. A, no Europe. No, We're
2: back, it's Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Great show tonight. We've got Andy Parker online, Chief Barrel Herder for Avery Brewing Company out of Boulder, Colorado. Uh, and let's welcome in him in now. Andy, back what's up, speak.
5: dude? Hi everybody.
2: How's it going, man?
5: Fantastic.
2: Thanks so and much. Here at
5: home, I have five open beers and two cats. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Excellent. And we're talking with uh, Andy before the show about his uh, ability to be able to gesture during this uh, podcast. Is that how's that shaping up?
5: It's working out pretty well. Okay. I have one hand holding onto the phone, and that's working out pretty well. But I have this other hand that can drink beer, I can pet the cat, I can gesture wildly <laughs> to no one. So you know, I think it's going to work out just fine.
3: You're in a good spot. Oh yeah. So speaking of urine, uh, you drinking uh, you drinking any like Simcoe beers to you know go along with your your cat presence there?
5: Well, I do love some good Cappy beers occasionally, but it's only good, I mean it's it's got to be metered in, you know, hundred percent Cappy Simcoe beers. I don't know, not my thing.
3: Yeah, you're just ninety 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 five percent.
5: Well, I do like cats, so it, but you know, I, I'd go down to like fifty percent simcoe, and I think we're good.
2: Yeah, you just got to be a cat person, not crazy cat lady, right? Where you fine line, like hoard cats in your freezer and stuff. Like well, that.
5: all right. Well, I'm not that far yet, but uh, but my wife and I do have three cats for two people, so we have more cats than human beings in the house. Look out! So we're That's on that still edge. Okay,
3: you're teetering still on okay. the edge of a very steep <laughs> cliff, my friend.
5: Yeah, it's it's problematic.
3: All right, well, thanks for coming on, Andy. Yeah, That's all we very want to talk much. to yeah, you about. Yeah. You know what's not problematic, Andy, is the uh, expletus that we have in front of us. Mm, yeah. No problems here.
5: It's a fun little beer. I'm drinking some right now.
1: Magic.
2: Great one to start with. Lots of, like, different fruits and kind of, like, tropical notes, a lot of complexity here. Can you walk us through first just kind of what this beer is and how, and how you made it?
5: Um, the way we made it was by basically starting off with a mission that I started off with about two years ago and then we failed at it and then something else happened and then it worked so we had this really really lucky lucky connection for tequila barrels with a uh with some folks called suerte spanish for luck a couple years ago these two guys in boulder decided like hey they're entrepreneurs and all that they're going to start a tequila distillery but of course they're in boulder they're not in mexico Mm -hmm. so they went down to mexico and they found all these little like regional distilleries that were doing these great jobs and went up to this guy and said hey You're making incredible tequila. We know what we're doing as far as marketing and stuff like that. And what do you think? And the guy signed on. And that was about four or five years ago. We happened to run into them at that very same time. And so we became friends with these guys. And as a result, four years ago, we were able to get like four tequila barrels from them. But now they're in like 40 states. And now we can get 200 tequila barrels from them a year. So we get these crazy fresh tequila barrels that are pretty incredible. You know i asked them like oh man is it gonna be hard to ship them up from mexico i'm like oh no don't worry about it we'll just do it like cool <laughs> and uh on Explodus, that is one where two years ago i was like you know what we're the next time we get tequila barrels we're gonna make a tequila sunrise beer we're gonna throw cherries in it and we'll do something wait a minute i don't know anything about tequila sunrises so <laughs> i got a lot of sorority tequila and i started making tequila sunrises at home just about every night which was awesome nice research um yeah, and it's, but it, it kind of made sense. It was like, and is the goal really to make something that tastes just like a tequila sunrise? No, but there's a reason that people make tequila sunrises, and those flavors work well together. Why not try to expound on that and then see where the journey goes?
3: This has great... Um I don't know if it's the barrel flavor it's like a, a an agave character. Now Jay, when you had the uh no salt in here, I don't recall it having um a distinct agave character, like unless somebody told me it was aged in tequila barrels, I don't think I would have picked that out, but I but I would pick it out of this beer. So what do you think was different in the practices that ma- that made that happen?
2: Uh you know, I don't know. It, it seems like from the process I've heard so far, the the freshness of the barrel, I mean, that Andy is getting is kind of Un- unparalleled. So, I don't, Andy, do you think that freshness of the the tequila barrel you're getting kind of translates itself in a high amount and a high quality into this beer?
5: So far, yes, just because, like, the Cerrete barrels, because it's not through middleman, it's not through anything else. Like, we're getting them from them. They empty them, they send them here, and they're here in, like, three weeks. And when you're trying to source, let's say, tequila barrels from Mexico or rum barrels from the Virgin Islands, there are all of these giant flaming hoops that you have to jump through to get these things to happen and to get them here in time and that's why these Sorte barrels are just been crushing it for us like we've even tried a couple of the tequila barrels and we've gotten and we've gotten solid flavors out of them but not like we're getting from this magically lucky direct connection with these guys that happen to be in boulder
2: nice and I, I, and forgive me if i i missed this part of it but i think you said you know there was kind of a failure and then that led to a success <laughs> what what was the nature of the failure
5: uh that we failed in our tequila sunrise hot action because i was like oh man had we'll cherries in there that'll kind of represent the maraschino cherries done a lot of tequila sunrises and i'm not a big fan of orange juice and tequila sunrises because it adds too much sweetness but if you make it with grapefruit juice it adds to the tartness and it's incredible so when i planned out this beer you know two years ago i was like okay we'll add some cherries in the fermentation in the primary or sorry in the secondary fermentation get some cherry flavor to that hint and then we'll add grapefruit zest afterwards and, and so we did all that. We made this beer, did a uh, Saccharomyces primary fermentation, and in the secondary added cherries and our house bread Strain and our house Bugs and let it go to town, barreled it for like six months. And then I brought some blind tasters to our like, research and development little group. And, and in that tasting, no one got any cherry flavor at all it's like i didn't tell them what they were tasting. I just brought something to the table, chilled, carved, ready to go, just to see what they would think of it. No one got any cherry flavor, I'm like hmm, interesting. well, okay, so we kind of biff that one, so then you're at this crossroads. Do you go, okay, well, we were trying to make a tequila sunrise beer, and we have eighty barrels eighty oak barrels filled of this delicious sour beer with a ton of tequila flavor. Should we add a bunch of cherries? And add a bunch of grapefruit zest and see what happens. Maybe, but holy crap, this beer tastes incredible right now. Maybe we should just roll with this. Because we've done a bunch of tequila barrel beers over the last four years. This has easily the most agave tequila flavor that we've encountered. And so this whole two-year plan to make a tequila sunrise beer was instantly dashed by going, well, this beer is incredible. Why would we add anything to it? We like it right now. So then you drink it.
2: That's what this final product is. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. You know, yeah. I think uh, that that's happened to us at the rare barrel just recently, where you're you're going for something, you think you're going to go a certain direction, and along the way, you kind of stumble upon like, oh, uh, hey, should we just stop right here? Like this, this is great.
3: Yeah, like, don't be don't be married yeah. to a plan. Let mm-hmm. your taste buds speak. Totally, and it's
5: you know it's it's a pretty cool thing that we happen to be. You know, I happen to work at this pretty big brewery right now, but everyone's in for the beer. So as soon as something goes across the table where everyone is like this tastes incredible. Well, cool. <laughs> then let's bottle it because if we want to drink it then other people probably do too.
2: Yeah, it's a great lesson and uh you know, I think that with sour beer, uh there's a lot of preparation and execution, but certainly uh, luck plays a part and it's the oh, the, yeah. the name of the tequila is appropriate for that so that's that's great that 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 worked out and I think it's a great takeaway for everyone and you know you mentioned the brewery is big now and we teased this in the opening but you were there when they were about 3000 barrels and now it's 80,000 barrels what what are what are the big changes that you know I'm sure the the brewery has changed a lot a lot of expansions new big shiny tanks but for the sour beer program what are the changes you've seen kind of just in your niche area there
5: it's kind of allowed us to to expand it massively because as you all know anytime you put something in some barrels and you're like well hope it's awesome in six to 18 months you know that's a that's a big financial decision just if you're a small brewery the dumping of any barrel that you think might be suspect is a major financial decision and being a larger brewery now but still run by a bunch of people who really love experimentation with beer and doing the craziest stuff we can well that means that we have a lot more buying power to go like oh yeah we'll buy 200 tequila barrels why wouldn't we and some of them aren't going to work out that's okay it's kind of nice that we're a large enough brewery that, that we can take that financial hit when when a project does just do, it doesn't work and that happens but as long as you're willing to dump some beer that means you're going to be much more likely to make a really great beer
2: and when you are dumping beer you know uh, overall you know what? What percentage of the beer that you put into barrels do you think are you dumping? In? And then do you do you have any specific story that really sticks with you, like a, a batch that was you know extra painful to dump? And and how did that make you feel? <laughs> <laughs> oh well, it's
5: sad every time, sir. <laughs> uh, I'd I'd say on non-sour beers, non-sour beers, we've I wouldn't say we've dialed in perfectly, but I'm guessing we're only dumping under five percent of those barrels um, on sour beers. It's, it's probably upwards of 10, just because they're, you know, longer time in the barrel, more, more things that can happen, more staves that can dry out, more oxygen that can get in, more ethyl acetate being created. And, you know, you, you name your major off flavor, it's, there's a good chance it'll happen. As far as fun dumping stories, and we definitely have a, a good handful of them. Um, I don't know, one good one is the uh, apricot sour saison. And of course, the acronym turned out to be Ass. <laughs> so we made this. It was our one time of trying a kettle sour beer, where we're like, you know what? And this, so this is back in the alley. Um, I think I heard Scott say that he went to the alley years yeah. and years ago. Yeah, I sure did. Yeah. So so you saw that place, and it's man, I love that. I love that. I love drinking at that place. I was there for 13 years, like a third of my life. Um, so I have a lot of nostalgia for it, which is a hard place to work because. Because we had eight industrial garages linked with uh, flexible hoses going outside. So I have cleaned tanks outdoors in snowstorms, you know, crawling up on a ladder, holding a two inch hose up to a tank to attach it to a filter to do anything. I've fallen on ice out there. Like oh. it was, even in the last days of the alley, I had to wear my full ski gear. To go to my office to work at a computer because I didn't have heat, so it was forty-five degrees in there.
3: Oh yeah, it was like a. I was going to say like a, an office park setting, but it wasn't. It was like they were like warehouses butted up against each other, right?
5: Oh yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, 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 so it's warehouses all between each other, but we didn't even own all the buildings. It wasn't like we owned seven buildings in a row. It was like, hey, we own these two, and then hey, there are these sign makers, and then we own a couple more. So okay, so you can't run hoses through their place because it's their place and they're friends of ours and so we had to rig up ways to like run run beer from bright tanks in three different rooms to three different packaging lines that were in three different other rooms and it was all these like hard lines going over other buildings i mean it's basically like this i don't know it's like a monty python sketch gone totally wrong where everything is done wrong but we tried to do our best to have the best qa program we could and and make everything as great as we could
3: I didn't um, even think about You know, I was there at uh, JBS, so it must have been like out uh, of the beginning of October, and there was no snow on the ground, and we sat outside. I remember it being a pretty nice day because uh, mm-hmm. they had like a little outdoor, you know, outdoor beer garden there. But, I, yeah, I didn't do the math on what it must be like to work in five feet of snow at that place.
5: It's I mean, it's not like that all the time. Colorado winters down here on the Front Range are much easier than, let's say, Minnesota or Michigan or something like that. Uh, for most of February this year, it was seven degrees and sunny or 70 degrees and sunny, and yet last Wednesday— we, you know, they predicted two inches of snow, and we got a foot and a half, and it shut down the airport, and it shut down everything. And if we would have had to close or had to clean outdoor tanks outside, well, then we would have had to shut down the brewery. That's just the way it is. It was kind of a tough road in the old alley.
2: What, what happened to the the kettle sour apricot beer? What was the problem with that? <laughs>
5: oh yeah, that monster. So, ass. so the the old ass beer. So this was in the times where we weren't running twenty four seven. We weren't quite as big. We could shut down the entire brew house for a day. And we did this, you know, fun kettle sour. It's like trying to wing it. And we put it in the tank, and it tasted pretty good. And we're like, oh man, this tastes awesome. We're gonna, we're gonna let it marinate in, uh, in some neutral oak barrels for about six months. And we put it in the neutral oak barrels. And I tasted it after about three months, just like back there in the barrel cellar. I'm like, wow, this, this tastes, this tastes bad. This tastes really bad. <laughs> but I don't know how to quantify this. Um, and I brought some samples to, to some more experienced tasters than I was at the time. And I think the most descriptive thing I heard was, "Wow, this tastes like fireworks and clam chowder."
2: <laughs> oh wow, that's a new one.
5: Yeah, it was. And and then I went for another taste. I'm like, "Yep, yep, that's that's accurate."
3: Wow, first time was, in the history of humanity that anyone described a taste as fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> but but funnily enough, okay. I can I can taste what that would taste like. That's yes, yeah.
5: No, it's 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 sulfitic. It's a it's a I can't remember which sulfur compound it is. It's not hydrogen sulfide, but it's the other one. And it's a sulfitic flavor or aroma that it does happen in sour beers from time to time. But this was this was a kettle sour done absolutely wrong. So I, I think hydrogen sulfide is H2S, and that's more the rotten egg, I think. And then the firecracker one is a, is a different one that we always describe as sulfitic, but I might have my names wrong. I am definitely not a uh, highly trained uh, technical chemist of brewing. I deal with flavors.
2: Mm. Yeah, join the club. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a, you know, it's a great story, and you know, there, there's all these hardships, and you go from, like you're saying, you know, uh, under 5,000 barrel brewery, now you guys are at 80,000, a lot of cool stuff you're able to do in, in making all these beers, you know, so, you know, like you said, source more oak barrels, source more fruit, and all that stuff. Um, I want to get into a, a little bit more of the full lineup, but we 're coming up to a break, but maybe we can sneak in a quick question before then
3: We are yeah, I have a question here from kevin osborne but but just quickly as it pertains to the kettle souring you so is there what is the benefit to kettle souring if you 're going to then long term age in a barrel anyway
5: it 's a great question, and I think it's it 's probably not one that i 'm really qualified to answer. I think. I mean, this was five, six years ago before the whole kettle souring phenomenon took off and before people learned how to do it right. And we didn't learn how to do it right. We basically talked to a couple of friends and we're like, hey, let's try it. And we did everything wrong. A couple of years ago, I was doing some research for some local friends of mine who were starting up a brewery and they wanted to know how to do kettle sours. And they asked me and I'm like, well, I have no idea. So I emailed a friend of mine, uh, Doug Dozark down at Cycle Brewing in Florida, because um, he's been doing them for years. And he wrote out this really, really long treatise on the pHs he's looking at, on everything he's looking at while making his kettle sours. Um, And I'm not qualified to to give out all the information because I barely even understood it. I'm like, wow, Doug's good at this. (laughs) But the one big takeaway was that pretty much what he said is that if you're making a kettle sour and it tastes bad after three days, it's not going to turn around. Dump it, start over, roll with it. And it's—I don't believe that he's barrel aging his kettle sours, and I think it's just that we—we we weren't doing it right. <laughs> there are better ways to do it, and fortunately, people are figuring out how to do kettle sours and do them well all over this country, which is pretty solid.
2: Yeah, and my only other speculation on that was to—you know—a situation where you would barrel age kettle sour is that you want to get the acidity up front, lock it in to an exact level ferment was saccharomyces or maybe brett and then that's when you introduce the brett maybe that's where the long-term aging comes in
5: or maybe if you wanted to get a gentle acetic bite to it because the longer you age something in the barrel the more oxygen ingress you're going to have and you're going to have mild acetic production over time so if you wanted some acetic acid to make it a more complex beer and not just be kind of like a one note lactic thing that could also work but at that point, it's probably better to just do a full-on sour beer, and not bother with a kettle sour.
2: And that's what, excuse me, a lot of uh, a lot of the people who make who invest a lot of time uh, in making barrel-aged sour beers that that's what they'll say when it comes to kettle souring is that, you know, why do I want to do this if the beers I'm making are that pH in the same amount of time anyway with my mixed culture? So mm-hmm. that's that's kind of the counter argument there. But there's no right or wrong. I, but I think putting Brett into a kettle sour beer and aging it out is something we've seen and we've seen done well sometimes uh you know our friend chris from uh, green bench chris johnson he mm-hmm. you know he described his method and episode he, three yeah he uh, he knocks out to <laughs> his fooder which i believe you know has like a saison culture maybe there's some Brett in there and yeah he sent me a lot of those beers and they're great i mean you know so it, you can age kettle sour beer in oak it's just you know stay on top of it basically
5: yeah, everyone's got a different way to do everything and they can all be done right as long as there's a just a a big push towards the quality control of it. Just Absolutely. just because you did it and you use your method doesn't make it good. It's it's good if at the end of the rainbow you can taste it with a bunch of other people to make sure that you don't have any holes in your palate that people aren't that other people need to catch. If a bunch of people are like, "Oh man, a bunch of trained tasters say it's really good." Well, there's a good chance that you've nailed it. But it takes a lot of work on the QA end, I think.
3: All right, well, I'm excited to get into the raspberry sour from Avery. That's coming up next. But first, here's Kevin Osborne, who says, um, question for Jay, but you can answer this too, uh, Andy. Uh, Since the rare barrel uh, ages their beer for a pretty significant amount of time, um, do they take into consideration the lower levels of dissolved CO2 in solution at the time of packaging? If so, what measures do they take to correct this? I know Jay mentioned once that he does not cold crash before bottling. Is that still true? the end of that, yeah, that's still true. Uh, we don't coal crash. Do
5: before. you, Andy? Uh, well, we have a totally different thing because we're not doing bottle refurmitation because we're doing a forced carbonation. Uh, so it's oh, a right. totally different
3: process. Okay, so Jay, sorry, take it away.
2: Yeah, so that so Andy's process is nice because, you know, you can carb up and you just – there may be residual CO2, but once you're, you're – just, you're just adding and adding and adding until you get to the level you want. For us, you know, I think we – you we, you can start with a calculation. We start with the standard, and maybe it's like 0.8 volumes, which is, you know, lower. You have to consider that barrel-aged beer is still, almost still, um, but there is some CO2 in there beyond what you can kind of perceive on your palate. So you have to account for some of it. I can't, you know, speak in a blanket way for, you know, all barrel-aged beer is going to be, you know, this volume of CO2. But at the end of the day, what we just ended up doing is shooting the middle, uh, with our sugar addition um, I think we started off uh, on the lower end and over time we've been building it up you know over two three years now uh, to where we're you know we're probably around the 2.75 volumes it's so a little higher carbonated than your typical beer but you know I think some beers we still want to push it up but it's just been very slow very measured process with our sugar addition so I would start by you know doing something conservative because you know you don't want to go way over or way under. Um, but, yeah, I'd start on on the lower end of the scale and, and build up, if, if that sounds good to you. Or, you know, if it's at home and you just want to wing it, go for it. You can do different experiments. You can dose, you know, a third of your batch at one rate, another third at, you know, 1.5 times that, and another at two times that. I would just buy the strong uh, 375 Belgian capable bottles from more beer like crooked stave uses (laughs) extra thick (laughs) yeah just because i mean if you don't know what's going to happen it's it's kind of the best best approach
3: Uh, Kevin goes on uh, at the bottom of his email. He says he's in the process of opening a uh, a, a sour wild brewery in Los Angeles called Celador Ales. He said they're currently building out their space. Uh, He said he was the winner of the brewery's homebrew competition last year. How about that? Uh, Batch 1731 is his collaboration (laughs) with them. Uh, It's 100% prep beer, not a sour beer. But uh, good luck with the build, uh, Kevin, and keep us updated, please.
2: It sounds like you don't need to ask us any questions. You're you're off and
3: running. (laughs) All right, well, let's take a
2: quick break and get back to more Avery beer with Andy Parker right after this break.
1: Last year, on the first Saturday in May, 11,000 participants brewed more than 19,000 gallons of beer. It's National Homebrew Day. This year, on May 7th, fellow homebrewers around the world will join in the global celebration of the greatest hobby there is, homebrewing. The American Homebrewers Association encourages you to be a part of this epic brew day. Go to homebrewersassociation.org and click on Big Brew, national homebrew day there you'll find this year's official recipes for extract and all grain brewers if you're going to host a public event register it as well the aha provides promotional materials like posters zymer g magazine and display signs and don't forget to raise a glass at noon central time for a worldwide simultaneous toast to homebrewing big brew on national homebrew day be a part of it this may 7th visit homebrewersassociation.org for more details
2: all right we're back some more sour hour
3: yeah more sour beer, a little raspberry action. This yeah.
2: whole studio now smells like raspberries. Explosive raspberry coming out of a twenty-two ounce bottle from Avery. What's go
5: bigger, go home. Yeah.
2: Is this the only uh, beer you? Go, uh, just for the listeners, all the uh, I think all the other ones are twelve ounce Is this your only twenty-two ounce sour?
5: Yeah. So, th- so the raspberry sour is kind of a new thing. Where over the last couple of years, we've been. So, so, you know, the whole bear program started like 10 years ago, right, where I pretty much went into Adam's office and said, Hey, I've been playing around a little bit with some barrels that Vinny gave us. I don't know what I'm doing, but can I buy 30 Zinfandel barrels that make 100% Brett beer? Doesn't that sound great? And Adam's like, you know, I've been thinking that'd be a great idea. I'm like, cool. It's and I whore. just backed out of the room before he could say no. i have kind of grown it up over the years, but, you know, for the first eight years of the program, everything's been a, a one-off, which is, you know, pretty much where my heart lies. Like we're like doing fun experimental stuff every time. And, uh, and you know, doing whatever we want, but over time, and as we grew as a brewery, eventually, like when we built this brand new brewery that you guys haven't been to yet because you, you've uh, just been to the alley and not the new place that we just celebrated our one year anniversary there. As soon as we got there, it was like, wait a minute, we have one of the longer running barrel programs in the country Maybe we should ramp that up. And so we have. And so we've gone from, in the last two years, 250 oak barrels to about 2,000. And we'll probably be at about 4,000 in Ooh. another, I don't know, I'd say six, nine months. It's, it's a little mind-boggling to me. You know, I never expected my little proposal to Adam to, to go this big. But part of that is that we're like, you know what? We definitely want to. We started out as an experimental brewery. We're going to keep doing that. We're going to do whatever we want on these small batches. But, man, wouldn't it be cool and wouldn't it be a good brewer challenge to try to make a consistent year-round sour? And so that's where Raspberry Sour comes in. So the bottles I sent you guys are from the third batch of it to ever exist. I sent them out the day they were bottled. So what was that, like five, six days ago? And the goal is to make this year-round thing for you know all those people that haven't had sour beers yet. So, it, so it's, it's a little like a training wheel sour sort of thing. But as a fun brewer challenge, it's like, well, what if we can make a consistent sour beer that we're doing in, you know, 280 oak barrels once every three months? And oh, see if great. we can do that year-round.
2: Yeah, it's tasting really good for, great. you know, just being recently bottled. It's, you know, dealing with the bottle shock well. And, uh, I mean, yeah, I could see how this would be a really good introductory beer. Not that it's like missing in complexity or you know the the balance is off it's just it's 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 what you want people to have for their first sour beer
3: yeah
5: and i mean and and i would say i like i don't think it's as complex as our you know fresh barrel soured ones or 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 beers that we're leaving in the barrels for longer and looking for and looking for more flavor and, and complex and more complex flavor but it is a but it is kind of a fun thing is like this brewer challenge like well all right, you got people in a bar who have no idea what they want to drink, and they look up at the uh, at the board and they're like, "Avery Raspberry Sour, get it? I'm gonna do it. Why not? Uh, I actually fought really hard against calling a Raspberry Sour. I wanted to call it something way more schmancy, um, <laughs> and the sales guys actually convinced me really well. They're like, "No, no, no, it's cool. We're gonna like if you can make this really cool beer and it's gonna work out, we want people to actually be able to read it. Where every one of our other bottle names is something in Latin that you can't pronounce." So, like, okay, sales dudes, I get it. it. makes a lot of sense. And now I definitely see where they're coming from where after three batches of this, it's, you know, doing pretty well out there.
2: And when it comes to not just only this beer, but uh, some of the beer, the, like the, the beer we just had, what, you know, you guys are doing a lot of fruit pairings with your sour beers. What's the general thought process, the actual process, best practices behind what you guys do with fruiting? Is it all in the oak barrel? Is it in stainless tanks? Or how how do you approach that uh, project?
5: So, when we're doing fruitings, like it, it sounds really romantic to to shove whole fruit in every barrel. And I love the theory behind it. We've definitely done some barrel, some projects where we're we have a funnel and ground up Granny Smith apples, and we're sitting there with a funnel and like you know lodging them into each and every barrel. When we're doing something like raspberry sour. It's, you know, you're dealing with 280 oak barrels at a time on each individual batch. So at that point, you're looking for a slighter, like, a a little lesser amount of raspberry flavor. Like, if we were making—like, we're not trying to make a framboise. It's not supposed to be a massive raspberry Ford Guise or something like that. Um, We're looking for a solid amount of flavor. So for this, we're actually using a really good raspberry puree that we're putting into the tank during secondary fermentation. So— it's a Saccharomyces primary. Once that's done, after about like 10 days in a steel tank, then we're shooting in, I don't know, 3,000 pounds of raspberry puree into a 240-barrel tank, along with a fresh Brett Pritchable of our house strain. And then we'll also shoot in eight oak barrels of already soured beer. And so those – and if you do the math on that, at that point around like 5 to 6% of the entire mixture is actively souring beer. So it's like this huge primer. Then once that's all in the tank, then we can barrel it out into that, you know, 280 to 300 barrels and kind of let it roll.
2: Nice. I I really like that process. We've we've done some things like that at the rear barrel. Um, That's an interesting inoculation rate. 5% is a little lower than we've done. What's the the gravity at the time when you are adding this brett and then the, uh, I think you said, eight oak barrels of uh, sour beer? What's the sack beer like?
5: Probably around like two, two and a half Play-Doh.
2: Okay, and then right so, on
5: there, so so it's pretty dry, but then we're adding a lot of sugar from the raspberry, adding the breads, adding and adding the uh the souring the souring beer, and at the end of the road, once the secondary fermentations happened in the barrels, it's probably more like one point five.
2: Okay, gotcha. And you know, you, you say you know it, it ends at one point five when when you guys are tasting beers in your cellar and trying to decide you know your packaging schedule or you know your blends. How, how do you guys decide or what's your process from knowing when your beer is ready to package?
5: Obviously, this is not your first rodeo because most people would not ask that question and it's <laughs> it's something that we're still working on ourselves and trying to make something that is, you know, a year like a year-round pretty consistent product, but it's an actual barrel-aged sour beer. So, we're still working on it ourselves at this point on each of the three batches of raspberry sour that we released. We have, we have actually been sending beer out from individual barrels from the bottom row and from the top row, all around the warehouse, off to outside labs to get them to test for lactic acid, acetic acid, and malic acid, which I'm, you know, like I said, I'm not a chemist, I'm not an expert at it, but raspberries have a lot of malic acid in them and our bugs are turning that malic acid into lactic acid. So this particular batch of raspberry sour, we had on our packaging schedule two months ago. the first two batches of raspberry sour were only like four to five months in the barrels. All the lactic acid was produced in the first, I'd say six to eight weeks and everything was totally kosher. And then winter hit. And then our warehouses didn't have the, uh, the temperature control that we really wanted. So we were tasting this batch of raspberry sour that you're drinking right now. We were, you know, we were tasting it about six weeks ago. And I was like, man, it's, it's just, it doesn't have like, it doesn't taste like that last batch. Something's a little off. So we got things tested again. It was like, oh, well, there's still a bunch of malic acid in there that has been converted to lactic. Well, we need to push that that uh, release schedule off by a couple months and make sure that we're doing the right thing for the beer. And so now we have another two batches of raspberry sour in there that, like, uh, in our barrel program, that we are getting tested every couple weeks or once a month to test it for lactic and malic and make sure that we're doing the right thing for it. But it's this whole different monster of not only doing sensory analysis you know by us going there and tasting barrels because every time we do a batch of raspberry sour you have a minimum of two to three people tasting every single barrel two months before you release it one one month before you release it and the day you're debarreling just to make sure that you're not accidentally putting in some barrel with a massive off flavor so it's a you know once again it all comes back to quality assurance and making sure you're doing it right
2: Nice. Yeah. I love, I love that process uh, that you guys are doing. And, you know, I, I, I like your honesty where it's, you know, it's, it's still in development. You guys are trying best practices, but you're open to, you know, evaluating, you know, how, how are we evaluating whether this beer is ready or not? Um, but, but the
5: sales dudes were not happy when we yeah. told them that we we're like, hey, <laughs> I know you promised this distributors, but we got to move it back by a month and a half. But you know what? Our sales dudes know how we work and they totally agree. We're all here for the quality of the beer. Yeah. So the cool. last thing they want to do is try to rush something, mm-hmm. and so now we've taken steps in our warehouses to get the temperature better, and hopefully in the next couple batches um, we'll be able to, you know, make the exact same beer that we're trying to make in four months instead of six.
2: And sort of on this a continuation of this topic of you know when the beer is ready is you know you make the decision to send it into bottles and you guys are uh, force carbonating your sour beers. Do you see any? additional attenuation or even if there's no additional attenuation, how are your beers changing over time, uh, with that kind of bottling process?
5: I'd say it's not as much as if you are doing bottle conditioning. And so I've I've talked about this like off and on because as a beer geek, I would love to bottle condition. I really would. I think, I think if you, if you have the capability to bottle condition, I think it can make a better beer overall. I think it can evolve more over time because you have living organisms that are still crushing in there and changing the aspects of everything. But it's also a very risky venture. And uh, you know, at least Scott has been to the alley. And when we first started doing our barrel aged beers, I was like, man, what if we could bottle condition? Our brewery is not set up for that. Um, The Rare Barrel, for example, you, you guys started with that knowledge in mind like hey we need to build a brewery around this around the fact that we want to bottle condition and do refermentation and go all the way so your brewery is set up around that and our brewery was not our brewery was set up to make ipa and white rascal and hog heaven and all these other fun things that we make and retrofitting the brewery to do bottle refermentation would have been really really brutal and i would say the bottle refermentation does carry a lot of risks I mean, I, I think the Lost Abbey is a good example of that. Tommy has hit some roadblocks over the years where it's it's been a really hard road trying to do a bottle refermentation on their high-BV beers and stuff like that. And he and Gwen have worked their asses off to, to get better at it, and they've gotten a lot better at it over the years. And I think their beer proves that. They're making great stuff. So I would love to do bottle refermentation, but— things just weren't set up that way for it. If you can do it, I think there's a chance that you can make your beer as an arbitrary number, let's say 10% better and it will evolve more over time. So with all that said, you know, we do first forced, car- forced carbonation. We've been doing it for a long time and I don't think our beers evolve quite the same. I mean, a, a couple of months ago, I popped open a bottle of that first beer that, that we made in the barrel aging series called a uh, Bourbon. It's the first one that I went to Adam with and did that proposal. And it's 100% Brett beer, and tasted it a couple months ago. And it's, I wouldn't say it's evolved over time into a better thing. I think it, I think it improved for maybe a year to a year and a half. And I think that oxidation actually helped the flavors a little bit. And after that, instead of like an IPA where you just you just go down that slide and the beer turns into crap, it's just like this minor minor hill where it's a little less good each year. So I usually encourage people to drink our barrel-aged beers in the first two years max and not age them for too much longer, at least our sours, because they're not going to evolve the same way that a true bottle fermentation will.
2: I think that's excellent advice, and I I can totally sympathize with uh, the things you're saying about the challenges of bottle conditioning and just the space, space and time. I mean, it, we have so many bottles just held up for months that, you know, we have to commit to, hey, this is, this is a good beer and we're ready to bottle it. And now, oh, now it's not a good beer because it's going for, through a re-fermentation. So it's...
5: I mean, I, I can definitely say, like, you know, there, I think there are advantages to both. Um, I kind of like it that Explitus is going to taste the same 12 months from now as it does now. I'm really happy about that. There's, there's a lot less mystery to it. But there's also some pretty cool things. I'm like, oh, man, the mystery of a bottle re-fermentation is pretty sweet, too. So our bottles won't evolve as much, but I also kind of like it that I was tasting Explodus out of barrels, you know, two months ago. And and I am kind of happy that I can do a better job to freeze that flavor where it is. We're like, we took it out and I'm like, this tastes awesome. I want people to put it in their flavor holes. Let's do it right now. (laughs)
2: And And then
5: we bottled it. And I can say that that's going to be stable. Like that flavor, I think, is really going to be stable for at least a year to two years.
2: And a lot of this sounds familiar from uh, our talks with Lauren on, on the same subject. And she's, you know, doing doing the forced carb thing and also uh, pasteurizing the sour beers. And I think you guys are doing that at Avery, I believe, Andy. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And when, uh, yes. When did you Since guys phase into that into in? the new
5: brewery, yes. So only for the last year or so. Uh, but all three of the ones that you're tasting right now are pasteurized. But if you look at it over the long haul, like for the first seven years of our barrel program... We were forced carbonating, and that was pretty much locking those flavors in place the way it was. Um, You know, we weren't looking for a continual evolution of those flavors over time. We were trying to lock in that flavor that, like, hey, man, we nailed this. Let's put it out there so people can drink it now. So it's pretty much an extension of that. You know, pasteurization is definitely a controversial thing in the craft brewing world, and I totally understand why. Um, Because it's—I mean, you're heating your beer up to— to some pretty hot temperatures to to take out what's going on in there. But as our brewery has grown, it really didn't make sense for us to – like we have one bottling line, and everything coming out of our brewery outside of our – well, so all our sour beers and our IPA and White Rascal and all that, they're all going through the same bottling line. And the risks that we've been incurring over the last eight years on, for example, putting the first – 30 sour beers we put in we put in bottles man they were huge um we have a we have an incredible lab program an incredible qa program and so our lab has spent hours and hours and hours cleaning that bottling line after every one of those runs and making sure it's been okay but it's it's bound to bite you on the ass eventually but still when we got a pasteurizer i was really really skeptical as the guy who started the railroad program and i'm like oh man i don't know what if it changes the flavor of the beers So the first three beers that we put out, or the first three sour beers last last spring that we put out in the new brewery, I kind of made some secret kegs before we (laughs) ran them through the pasteurizer and after we put them through the pasteurizer. And I asked our sensory panel to put those through the sensory panel and see if anyone could tell the difference between the pasteurized and non-pasteurized. And it's pretty notable that even I missed every single triangle test on that. I could not tell the difference between non-pasteurized and pasteurized sour beers.
2: I think that's a a powerful point to be made. And, you know, I think while, you know, some people view, uh, uh, maybe a small percentage, but some people view pasteurization with a negative stigma, there's a powerful argument to be made for it. You know, the blenders, it's the blender's intent, and as as romantic as it is to pass on, this, what I call the sellermanship to from from the brewer or you know the barrel herder to the consumer in their cellar, well said. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and then they're taking care of it. They're you know keeping it at the right temperature. They're harvesting it at the right time, just like we harvest barrels. I think that's all great. There's also something to be said about the other, too. So I, I think there's places for both, and it's, it's part of a, a, a bigger conversation about the complexities of sour beer.
3: You think the opposition to it is ideological? Because what I'm hearing is it's not, it's not really perceived. Unless, is there a such thing as screwing up the pasteurization such that it becomes obvious?
5: I don't think I know enough about it only because we've only pasteurized a few things. Well, at this point we're pasteurizing everything that comes out of barrels, so that's sour and non sour, because there's a whole much longer story that I've written about before where we had a lot of issues with even a beer that was seventy percent alcohol and something got in it and lived, which was crazy. Um, but it's not worth the twenty minute story right now. But we've also never tried, for example, pasteurizing our IPA. Yeah, you know, I mean there's there's no need. It's it's doing just fine. Would pasteurization affect the flavor of that IPA? That's very possible. Mm. Um, And are we going to start doing experimentation with that? No, because we don't need to. We have a very robust lab program. I guess I would worry that, I mean, just just with my knowledge of any hoppy beer and aging it, even at room temperature, I mean, that's very detrimental to the beer. So how could pasteurization not affect that hop content in some fashion? So I would never say that pasteurization will not make a flavor change on every beer ever. At this point, I can only say that on our barrel-aged sours and non-sours, it does just fine.
2: And hopefully that doesn't change, you know? Hoping yeah. for the best on that. And, you know, what's more volatile, the pasteurization process or the bottle conditioning process? I'd say probably bottle conditioning. There's just a lot of factors there, so.
5: There, there's a lot of risk there, for sure. But a brewery that does bottle conditioning very well, it can make an incredible beer, no doubt. I mean, yeah, I'd love it if our beers were at three five volumes instead of, like, two-eight. That'd be great. But it's just, you know, every brewery picks their way to do it. And for me personally, the benefits of doing forced carbonation and knowing that for the next year, year and a half, everyone who has an expletive is going to go, yep, that's exactly like that tastes as close to what I tasted when I was taking it out of barrels. That makes me really happy.
2: Well said. Uh, Here's Scott, here's what I'd like to do. Like to get a question in, and then let's do our show break. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Andy, if you're available, if you could stick with us for uh, the opening of the second show, that would be great. Do you have the time? Yeah, sure. Awesome, because we got a Drink lot of a your beer, beers. Yeah, fun, we got a lot of your beers to get to. Yeah. So, so hang on for a second. <laughs> we'll do this question, and cool. then uh, we'll do our uh, our show break, and then get back at it.
3: Yep, I want to bounce this both off, you, off of uh, both you guys. It's a it's an interesting one from uh, Juan Garcia. He said, hey, I'm wondering uh, if it would be technically possible to add sour dregs mixed culture uh, to a keg uh, of commercial lager and produce drinkable, there's an asterisk next to drinkable, but drinkable sour beer. All the conditions seem in the ballpark of American producers making sour beer with uh, an initial clean fermentation, SRM, low hops, 5% alcohol, sterile, etc. Beside the possibility of highlighting off flavors in said base beer, is there any reason this wouldn't work? Did you
2: say high-lifing off flavors or what? Hyphying. <laughs> I said hyphying. Oh, oh. oh, champagne okay. of beers, bro. Yeah, get the champagne and beers, add some brett, and, and get after it. I, I, I don't see why not. What about you, Andy? Uh,
5: Bevo's making I a face. It would only depend on how much residual sugar is left in it. I would take some beer, like I can't say I've ever taken like high-life and put a hydrometer in it or read it on a density meter. If it's, if it's down at like half a Play-Doh because they did some shenanigans and got it really, really low well, you're not really going to have a whole lot for your breaths and bugs to chew on. Yeah. That could be a problem. You'd also have to, you know, flatten it, but there are ways to do that. I can't imagine that the uh, that if you actually just went out and bought a Keg Miller High Life, I can't imagine that the CO2 would be very helpful.
2: I've had just uh, anecdotal experience with this uh, in college when I've left out a beer in a Dixie cup from the night before. Uh-huh. and then I I've go, never done that. I go back to it thinking <laughs> it's my beer from tonight. And uh, there's a spontaneous fermentation going on. Oh, there. really? Something's, something's <laughs> not right. And, uh, yeah, that was the low life right there. <laughs> <laughs> but such is the life in Santa Barbara.
3: Yeah, so. It's the champagne
5: sure of beers. Yeah,
3: I've, I've <laughs> smelled that fermentation. I don't know if I've ever tasted it like that. That's how you catch the fruit flies right there. <laughs> oh, boy.
5: Acetic <laughs> uh, acid for the win. So I, I <laughs> I'd, I'd say it, I'd say it could be possible. I'd say it depends on the sugar content. Because one way or another all you all you're doing as a sour producer is trying to give your Britanamyces strain or strains and your sour bacteria the right food and happy place if you don't give it a food and happy place it's not going to do anything
2: yep agreed so i possible you know if you're able to degas and take a reading on it i would do that but i i suspect there's enough residual sugar to, to get something done <laughs> what it's going to taste like uh you know, I would think email so. us back and let us know. Yeah, I,
3: please. One, I would love for you to try this and, and uh, report on it. Let us know. All right.
5: Eventually, it's going to be the equivalent of like bathtub gin, where it's like bathtub sour beers. It's going to be all in the rage. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: that's that's the that's the next podcast for the Brewing Network, uh, the bathtub <laughs> and, hour. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, wow, great, great first part of the show with Andy. We have, we have so much more to get to. So kind of much fly more. By. Uh, thank you again to uh, Wine and Hop Shop for another year. Go ahead and log on to their site. Enter BN Shipping if your order is under 50 pounds. And uh, what's going to be taken off? It's free shipping. Free shipping. That's what's going to be taken
3: off. BN Shipping, free shipping. I lost my place.
2: (laughs) Wineandhop.com. And, uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening to this show. If you like it, you know, who knows? You may even like other BN shows. I mean, I doubt it, but this is the best one. <laughs> but if you're into that sort of thing, you can listen to Brew Strong, Dr. Homebrew, Brewing with Style, and a the little session. show called The Session. But, uh, yeah, thank you guys again. We'll be uh, right back if you're listening live, if you're pod-waving. I guess we'll be back at some other time interval. Yes.
3: Yeah. Maybe on 420.
2: Yeah. We'll see you next time on The Sour Hour.